Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network where we dive deep into Wabo's most second work, five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we pick up with Blake alone, sort of, in a room with Pose, <laughs> uh, his senses being assaulted basically on all fronts. Yeah, what I love about how this is done, though, is we open with all these, like, disgusting descriptions of the room um, and, like, all the filthy animals. And then it's the (laughs) second paragraph where it's like, Poos's effect is almost this sort of afterthought. And it's Mm. like, yes, like, Poos and and his effect are a consideration. But also, this place is just fucking gross. Yeah, I like that Blake is, this is the uh, dialed down version of what it must be like to be around Poos. Right. Yeah. Which is fun. Um, <laughs> so uh, th- this whole chapter is basically a, a long drawn out contract negotiation between Blake and uh, Pose. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's very, it's a lot more engaging than that sentence sounded. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I flickered back and forth a bit as I was sort of reading this. Like I, I was enjoying all of the sort of bit by bit. Uh, like semantics and and mind games and the sort of puzzle solving aspect but there were definitely moments where blake would sort of take a step back where i was like no come on like i gotta find out about rose and and you know (laughs) we've got like all this other stuff to get to so yeah like i was kind of conflicted as i was reading this chapter uh in a way because i i was enjoying it yes but there were definitely moments where i was like oh come on Mm. yeah fair yeah, I think this is probably the chapter where the least tangibly happens to progress the story. Um, but I, yeah. you know, I, I love uh, one of the reasons I like Pact so much is because of all the like word negotiations in it, and this is obviously an example of that. Um, yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. Like, uh, I've been reading some other stuff recently as well, and it's just something missing when you have to account for people lying. Like, you, you can't just take for granted that they're telling the truth but they're trying to mm. sneak past you. Uh, yeah. It's such a great mechanic. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we mentioned how Blake feels a lot more protected from uh, Pose's, like, aura. Um, his extensive suiting up from last chapter has had some effect, regardless of whether it's, like, actual or, or kind of confidence-based placebo. Yeah. I mean, it's basically exactly what he did to his apartment as well. So yeah, he's in trouble if it doesn't work. So this is a good sign. Yeah, actually, it's almost certainly not confidence-based uh, when we get this line from Blake's train of thought. I was going to fuck this up on some level. It was practically inevitable. I just hoped I could reduce it down to a level I could manage. So he's really not super confident about going <laughs> into this. I don't know. I've definitely gone into situations with that mindset before. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. It was practically inevitable that he fucks it up. Is pretty harsh. I mean, active, yeah, but. yeah. I mean, with with all this going on, I I don't think that's an unhealthy mindset really to have. Like, and I mean, you know, mm. I guess we see by the end he was he was right, but I think he did a pretty good job of minimizing the the issues. Yeah. Um. So, uh, Pose and and Blake start negotiating the finer points of their deal, basically just talking out what the terms of this are going to be. Um. And it's clear that Pose is interested in the deal, but is really trying to get every advantage in it that he can kind of wrangle out of it. Yeah, which I mean, you know, he's a demon and he's kind of a dick about it and yeah. et cetera. But, I mean, that's not... This is essentially a business arrangement between strangers where they're not really trying to form a long-term 
working relationship. Mm, so, yeah. I mean, that's honestly just kind of a reasonable, if slightly dickish, like, stance to take. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't, I'm not really going to fault him for that. It. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so th- this chapter kind of breaks down as, as Pooh's kind of trying a tactic of negotiation and, and Blake strikes back against it, right? Um, and there are some interesting things in here, but, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a cyclical conversation of kind of attack and defense rather than, like, any real wild plot developments, at least uh, up until the end. <laughs> yeah. It, it's like the inverse, I guess, of mm. all these other negotiations Blake's been a part of, because he's really the one, like, at the end of the day, he knows that, that Pooh's really wants to take this deal Mm. And, and so, regardless of like the minute by minute play, overall he's the one who kind of has the the power, and that's almost mm. the opposite. Um, like you know, we've seen in the ones with the Briar Girl, where Blake starts off on the back foot and he thinks he's found the upper hand, and then it gets like slapped away from him, a- and that's basically kind of what happens to Poos multiple times in this deal as well. Is yeah, like true. lets him think he has the upper hand and then takes it away and. We find out there's a bit of a twist on that at the end, but like <laughs> overall, it, it's it's kind of the inverse in that Blake, for the first time ever, sort of has the power and kind of knows it and is using it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's a good point that I hadn't really considered. It, it definitely is Blake who who kind of feels very confident in his position. I mean, I guess that's how it kind of comes off. He doesn't. He obviously isn't <laughs> super confident, but. Um, he, he, he does have a lot of the power in this negotiation, which is well, a, a different dynamic. Yeah, there are a number of times where he specifically falls back on the fact that he knows that at the end of the day, Poos does want this. Um, and yep. that's something I don't think he's ever had before in, in a negotiation. Yeah, leverage. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a fun kind of note of how this goes that I really like is Blake basically consciously and sometimes subconsciously is trying to emulate how he thinks Rose would behave in these situations. (laughs) He keeps kind of taking these little beats to remind himself how Rose would act in this way. Um, Yeah. It's great. I love it. The best one is definitely when he sort of accuses Poos of being small and Poos is like, you think I'm small? And he's like, no, no, no. I just think you could be bigger. And then he's like, and he's like, thanks, Rose. Like that was sort of a classic Rose line. Classic Rose, yeah. Um, and yeah, and I mean, you know, Rose mentions are scattered all throughout this chapter. Like, there's a bit at the start where he's like, oh my god, I'm alone. Fuck, yeah. fuck, 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 fuck. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, just just in case you have, as soon as you sort of start to forget Rose, um, Blake will sort of bring her into his narration. Just, oh, this, I, I'm hating this mystery, but I'm loving it. It's, it's so it's so good. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, Poos does have a trap here that he lays for Blake that works, that Blake walks into. But I like, even so early on, Blake kind of figures out what the trap is, and but just doesn't quite join the dots on it. Uh, he, he, he makes this thought, which is, not unless the trap was to throw so many terms and ideas at me that I'd stop being careful. Which basically is what what it seems like Poos is trying to do, kind of distract Blake from the one key piece of information in there. And it works. Blake misses Blake misses the fact that when Poos is bound, he will kind of lose his ability to control all these animals and leave Blake surrounded by a bunch of hungry, mangy things. Yeah. But at the same time, it also doesn't work because there are a number of, of pitfalls that Blake sees coming and, and closes up. Uh, yep, so it's, it's like, it, it's it's a weapon that Poos employs and, and, you know, it's hard to say how directly, but it, it clearly has some sort of effect, uh, even mm. when Blake is aware of it. Um, yeah. I also like this bit sort of early on where 
they they're sort of negotiating and and Blake sort of looks at Craig Doubt and is like, oh, like, you know, he did he make some sort of mistake that opened himself up to Poos? Like, does Poos pick on weak people? And where's he going to go after this guy? And then he sort of <laughs> thinks about himself. And he's like, yeah. wow, I'm pretty weak yeah. too. Uh, yeah, know, it's, it's a fun little moment. He, he, Blake clearly makes the thought of, well, Poos likes weak people. And then, you know, as the reader, you immediately make the thought of, oh, no, he's going to think himself, isn't he? And then he does. <laughs> yeah. It's perfect. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so, so Blake and Pooh's kind of negotiate enough of the terms of the deal that they, they are happy to actually sign it, actually make a real uh, contract that they can sign. And so Blake kind of starts drafting the contract and they start hammering out a bunch of, like, minutia details about terms (laughs) yeah and i love all these bits where blake is like okay and i just want to um you know clarify this and this and this and poos is just always sort of being like fine like point conceded (laughs) he's Uh, so grumpy (laughs) yeah as just and especially as blake is closing traps uh that poos has left for him he's just always like oh fine yeah um, and we get a fun little confirmation, a pronunciation confirmation here uh, with the quote, uh, Poos, given of the Marquis Andras, both of the fifth choir, feral and foul, and, and Blake kind of asks him to spell it. And it's P-A-U-Z, rhymes with ooze. So obviously it's Poos, everybody, and we can kind of stop that argument now. I, I mean, I had a good laugh at this at this bit here, just because obviously the pronunciation of Poos uh, or Poos has been... <laughs> A bit of a topic just in our podcast and especially in the Discord server. Uh, and then to see this sort of confirmation uh, sitting so close to the word Marquis, um, mm. the parahuman yeah. pronunciation nightmare, was just <laughs> a hilarious coincidence slash troll by Wildbow. I don't know which one, but it's it's hilarious either yeah, way. I wonder how intentional it is that there's Poos <laughs> and Marquis right there. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, this... It it must be intentional because this chapter is very like meticulous, right? This is a chapter about details and slowly negotiating details. I <laughs> I can't imagine that that was an accident. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I guess especially because Wildbo was probably assuming that everyone was pronouncing it wrong because I don't know how many people got to poos or pa'us without the detail that it rhymes with ooze. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's a quote I want to read off here, which is just a a great moment. Uh, so as Blake's kind of writing out the contract, there are a bunch of animals kind of swarming around and he kind of gets, he, 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 he uh, gets suspicious of Poos that these animals are going to try and interfere. So Poos kind of scampers this, this mouse that's getting close. And we get this quote, the mouse scampered off running off of the table. The thump it made as it hit the ground caught me off guard. Mice were light enough that they wouldn't necessarily make a sound like that. I leaned to one side and saw that it has it had broken its neck in the fall, <laughs> head first. Like, man, <laughs> disruption of the natural order. Like, there's no other way to say it, right? It's just so weird. This mouse jumps off the table head first and kills itself. And it's just like, why? Yeah, the whole thing is just so unnecessarily barbaric. Yeah. It's great. Uh, yeah, and, and <sighs> I, I'm struggling to remember now, but... There, there are moments where Blake notices that the animals are all sort of backing off. And I think it's all after this. So this this might sort of be part of that tipping point where Poos mm. tries to get the animals out of Blake's mind as a threat. And part of that is maybe showing that he's so willing to kill them. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I might be reaching there. But this 
this I think is part of the plan. Yeah, I think if 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 this doesn't give Pooh the idea, he he's definitely had it by this point where he he now kind of lets the animals all back off and get outside of Blake's, you know, out of sight, out of mind, basically. Yeah. Um, to to spring the trap for him later. While they while they're kind of narrowing down the terms, actually, Blake spots a different trap that that Pooh has set for him. Uh, they talk about the definition of harm, and Blake kind of defines it so that Pooh can't bring harm. Pooh's or nobody he works with can bring harm to Blake or any of his, you know, friends or family. <laughs> and the definition of harm involves, like, none of my power or nothing by my hand or claw or something like that. Um, I think it's so by Blake's my like, hand. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, and so Blake kind of spots that Pooh's could, like, I don't know, bite somebody or do something that's <laughs> not quite using his hand. Uh, and it's a great little bit where Blake kind of spots this and puts it up his sleeve for later, and then he pulls it out later with a nice little twist, and Pooh's gets pretty angry that he's, like, calling him out on it. It's it's a great fun beat. Yeah. Goddamn euphemisms. Like, you know, it'd be so easy to fall for that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I actually don't think the brilliant part here is just that Blake noticed it. I reckon it's how he uses it. Because what yeah, he does totally. is, is he doesn't tell Pooh that he's figured it out. He sort of uses the fact that Pooh's is trying to make him not realize it to sort of get Pooh's to rush through the next bit of the contract. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, if he told him right from the start, Pooh's would have then been belligerent through this whole next section. Whereas Blake yeah. kind of inverts the tables on Pooh's, gets Pooh's to rush through it. And he's like, okay, and now let's go back to this bit uh, <laughs> and closes it's the loophole. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's really it's well so done. It's so perfectly executed. It's like- yeah, uh, you know, I, I, my top rose theory now is that they already have merged, like you think, because there's no <laughs> one Blake just has the ability to do this by himself. Um, yeah, uh, so so Blake kind of loops back around to uh, to this definition of harm, and, and Pooh gets clearly quite pissed off. Um, he, he was yeah. pretty set on messing with Blake, and, and Blake has kind of, you know, found this loophole, and, and Pooh is annoyed, but eventually they do get to a a contract that they agree on. Uh, yeah, you know, congrats, Blake. He yep, he popped his Diabolus cherry. Yeah, there's this great quote. I, I love this quote. It's so good. It's such a good line. Um, Pooh says, "Oh, sorry." Uh, Pooh refers to Blake as a Diabolist, and Blake picks up and says, "Were you calling me a Diabolist before this?" No, he said. He smiled because you weren't, but you are one now. Hmm. <laughs> like fuck, that's such a good line. <laughs> it's just this moment of of Blake. I think Blake kind of notices it as well, and it hits him pretty hard, like, oh, shit, I've actually just turned into this thing that I swore I wasn't really going to be. Like, I swore to myself I wasn't going to become a Diabolist, and now I just am one. Yeah, well, it's this great conflicting moment, because Pooh's is basically saying, yeah, good job, but yeah, totally. also, also, you know, now you're a terrible person. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's a nice bit of, like, conflicting feelings, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Blake has written this perfect contract, no traps, and Pooh's is bound. Yay! But now that he's bound, he can't control the animals, including Craig, creepily enough. Um, <laughs> and Blake is fucked again. <laughs> Out of the frying pan, quickly divert to do some good contract negotiation, and then, you know, back into the frying pan, Blake. Yeah, I can't believe I didn't see this coming. Like, my first read-through, I was just sort of shooting through, and then it happened, and I was like, oh, we had so many clues about the animals and their behaviours. Um <laughs> You know, Blake and I probably both should have seen this coming a bit. Uh, it's great. And then there's, like, this extra detail about, like, what he thinks might be a bear moving outside the window. 
So just yeah. just in case you thought the rabbits and and squirrels weren't bad enough, uh, or Craig the zombie, uh, yeah. there's there's a bear walking around outside apparently. I'm curious what what you think Poos is trying to get out of this trick. What what do you think Poos gets out of this, Elliot? Um, yeah, I I did think about that because you know ultimately he does sort of want this deal, but now he is bound, so maybe he's assuming even if Blake gets killed, Conquest will come and pick him up anyway. Like it's just mm. a bit of a and he you know he's just a demon maniac so maybe this, he's just he can't help himself but try <laughs> to fuck like over fucking with people yeah. <laughs> i i kind of see it as a kind of a bit of a test like yeah, that's how it comes I could across to me like poos is kind of putting himself in blake's hands a lot and so he doesn't want to do that if blake is you know shit at his job um because that obviously makes poos in a lot of risk so if if blake dies to these animals then poos just comes out in two days and he's back and he can kind of just continue as he was like i i i kind of see it as Pooh's just testing the water for blake a bit yeah yeah i i, I can see that that would make sense mm. so before we round out the the chapter like that's that's how things end um mm. i just wanted to bring up rose <laughs> because sure. she, she obviously wasn't in this chapter i was so excited to finish our recording of 4.6 and dive into 4.7 and get all the juicy details on Rose, um, <laughs> and I didn't. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I had this theory, and, and you saw, I sort of shared it with you on Facebook, and you thought I should bring it here. Um, I was wondering if Rose is maybe stuck in the house, like, you know, back in Jacob's Bell. Mm, the Hills Glade house. Yeah, because I, I, I sort of thought of this, because, you know, Pooza's whole deal is he inverts the natural order, and I was thinking, well, vestiges are normally fragile, Right, so if he's mm. inverting that, maybe he made her so not fragile that she became corporeal, mm. and then maybe because she was created there for some reason, she's back in the house, and now so now she's stuck in the time bubble. Yeah. Well, what do you make of of what Pooh says that that she's asleep, basically, or in a coma? He he kind of makes reference to her being asleep. Yeah, so so that's sort of why I've now already drifted away from my roses stuck in the house theory, because um, mm. also that's not horrendous enough. Like Poo's, I think one of the biggest clues Poo's gives us is that he's really excited for this to happen, and he wishes he could see Blake's face, which tells us that it's not good. Well, probably. I think it <laughs> it is a little bit ambiguous as to whether, like, my first reading of this, my interpretation was kind of Poo's throws out the rose thing. Uh, and is excited to see Blake realise, but he was referencing, like, his trap that he had laid, and the rose thing is a bit of a distraction. But, yeah, it, uh, it could yeah. kind of go either way, I think. That's true. I didn't even consider he wasn't talk- he wasn't talking about Rose. Yeah. Well, yeah, anyway, I guess with the, all the coma stuff, Blake obviously links her being in some sort of equivalent of a, a sleep or in a coma to, like, healing, because yep. uh, Pooh's sort of is like, well, why do people go into comas? And mm. the fact that Blake links it to healing makes me think that's a red herring and it's not a healing thing. Because um, mm-hmm. I guess the obvious answer would just be she was hurt by Pooza's radiation and so she's healing and, and she'll just awaken. Again, that's not horrific or anything. Um, so I was thinking the only other reason I know that people were put in comas is like they're medically medically induced comas to prepare you for surgery. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering if um, maybe Pooza's radiation kick-started some sort of metaphorical transformative surgery type thing like Blake uh, like Rose is being essentially put under to be enhanced somehow I don't know I do we I've know just, any 
Do we know any demons that have things to do with, like, cutting or surgery? I wonder. <laughs> oh, God, I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> oh, shit, it's all um, coming together. Yeah, my hype levels are just so high for this Rose mystery. Um, Like, I've, I've completely raised my expectations, and I want to say next chapter, but I don't know. I just, I just want to know the answer. All right, we'll see. Uh, but that's the end of our discussion on Collateral 4.7. <laughs> um, now, you stuck a little bit of extra bonus bit in there about our Rose speculation, but I did want to kind of talk about um, Andrus, the demon that is mentioned as the kind of papa of, uh, of Poos. Um, the metaphorical tree, I believe, is the, is the yes. term that's used. <laughs> yes, very, uh, very flowery language from Poos there. Um, <laughs> I, I love kind of diving into uh, demons that are referred to once with a name <laughs> and figuring out where this name comes from. Uh, so so I, I started looking up Andras, Andras, the demon, to see where I could where I could find this reference. Um, and mm. he exists. He's a demon featured in this kind of compilation of, like, demonology materials that are known as the Lesser Key of Solomon. Um, again, I don't know what it is, but, like, all these demonology books are based around... Solomon going around sealing up demons and, and using their power. Um, and this is another one of those, <laughs> basically. Uh, I guess Andrus- it's just because, um, mm. like, I mean, I'm just sort of assuming here, but demon literature is probably usually at its highest in places of, like, Abrahamic faith because, you know, they're, yeah. they're such integral parts of... Or, or what we're talking about as demons are such integral, uh, you know, sort of associated with Abrahamic religions. So it's yeah. probably just that, like Solomon's obviously a big part of of the Old Testament. Mm. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it yeah. It, that's probably that link. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so Andros is the first demon named in uh, this book called the Ars Gotia, which is the first of five books in this Lesser Key of Solomon. Um, the the Ars Gotia is is basically just a textbook that lists seventy two demons bound by Solomon and gives like their stats basically. <laughs> so it's um, a Pokedex. Yeah, it's it's like a, a little Pokedex of of the demons that Solomon bound. Uh, okay. And, and they all have like military rankings of their kind of positions that they that they uh, took in hell. So so that's the very anime. Demons, yeah, it's very it's very anime. Um, <laughs> of the seventy two demons, there were nine kings, and you recognize names like Baal and and Belial and a demon named Paimon, who was like the antagonist of of that Tony Collette movie Hereditary that came out recently. Really good movie. Everyone should check it out. Uh, so there were nine kings. There were twenty three dukes, including one called Valafor, which is a fun little uh, worm reference. There were seven princes, including one called Sia. Uh, again. I'm starting to see a trend from where the fallen <laughs> names came from in Ward. Um, there were there were 15 marquees, including Andras, and we'll, we'll loop back around to him later. There were five counts. Uh, Furfur was one of these counts. There was one knight, only one. I'm not sure why. <laughs> and there were 12 presidents, which is a weird name for a demon to have. It just feels a bit too stately. Yeah, I guess um, these are probably just, like, like weird, uh, you know, artifacts of, of translating them, I guess. Yeah, um, maybe. Yeah, I like the I idea know. of I like the idea of the one knight. It's like it feels like that situation where like they knew he he was too good to be a president, um, mm. but you know he wasn't good <laughs> enough to be a count, so they created yeah, a position for him. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. The, I love the presidents. There's one, my favorite of them. There's one called Cameo, and he's just depicted as a bird with a sword. And I've, I've posted an image in our show notes for you to look at. <laughs> he's actually just a bird holding a sword. It's so bizarre. Um, yeah, I oh, love that. I love truly that. terrifying. It's it, for those of you at home. Imagine just like a raven standing there, but in one of its little talons, it's holding a sword, and that's what it looks like. Well, no, it's got talons coming out of its wings. Um, like yeah, it's, it's got, got like four... wing talons. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, anyway, it's, it's bizarre. <laughs> uh, so, so diving back to Andras, he, he's obviously mentioned as being bound to a saber in impact, mm. at least. Um, and this seems to come from his description, which has him like flourishing a saber. Uh, and you would think that that's not that unique, like swords, you know, common enough. But actually, only yeah. three of the seventy-two demons are like described with swords, so it is relatively huh. unique. I mean, knowing Pact, it totally adds up that if he's a demon already associated with swords, it'd be easier to bind him, bind him to one. So oh, yeah, well, like, yeah. yeah. There's, <laughs> I'll give you some other fast facts about Andras. Uh, he has the body of a winged angel and the head of an owl, which in depictions of him is very creepy. Uh, <laughs> he's considered highly dangerous to summon and can kill the conjurer if not very careful. So obviously there's a bit of a backstory behind whoever bound him to this sword. Um, yeah. And he's often depicted riding a black wolf. And That's pretty cool. This, the the, the Ars Gotia is basically just a textbook with facts and descriptions. So there's no kind of like backstory behind Andras in it uh, that I could find at least. And so there isn't much to go off of relating to like poos or, or spawning children or the fifth choir or, or all of that stuff that seems to be kind of extrapolated into Pact. He's depicted riding a black wolf. I don't know, that that's kind of an animal link. Uh, and he was also mentioned as being in command of 30 legions which is vague, but maybe <laughs> that's where the idea of, like, siring pact came, uh, siring poos came from. But, yeah. Like, legions could just be referring to imps in pact, basically. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, a little dive into a demon that's only mentioned by name. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I always find it fun diving into these weird demonology books because it's so just, <laughs> like, it's just, like, spawned from the head of anonymous authors. It's awesome. Yeah, well, it's sort of like a, you know, a universe that's had fan fiction that's been going for hundreds of years. So there's just a ton of content <laughs> yeah, with true. really, it's like, uh, it's like comic books as well. When you got all these authors adding to lore over hundreds of years, it gets pretty wacky. Yeah, I guess it's basically like the edgy Sonic OC, but for <laughs> the Bible, right? <laughs> yeah. And with that interesting thought. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of our discussion on Collateral 4.7. Um, thank you for listening to the show. If you want to uh, if you want to connect with us, you can check out our Twitter, which is MediaMDPodcast. Uh, sorry, at MediaMDPodcast. You can uh, chat to us there. Yes, uh, but you can chat to everyone, including us, uh, even mm-hmm. more on our Reddit uh, discussion thread, which will be in the show notes below. Ah, and you can chat to everyone, including us, even more, and some of the other shows on the <laughs> Doof Network on our website, which is doofmedia.com. Uh, speaking of Doof Media, we also have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash doofmedia. Uh, and yes. donating there helps support uh, us and all the other great shows on the Doof Network. Yes, and if you're in a in a giving mood, you can also check out Wildbo's Patreon, patreon.com slash wildbo. Chuck Wildbo some money for, you know, making all these awesome stories. Uh, I know I do, and you should too. <laughs> uh and of course yesterday we also just released an episode of our other podcast uh media md which uh mm. features matt freeman who of course 
you know, Doof uh, listeners will know as the F part of Doof. Yep, the, the big F in Doof. Uh, we were talking with him about uh, Pulp Fiction, which he said was his favourite Tarantino movie. Um, we had a fun discussion about that that went for a long time. <laughs> um, but yes. yeah, it was, it was a good episode, and I highly recommend checking it out if you want to talk about Pulp Fiction or other kind of Tarantino stylings. Yeah, absolutely. And so apart from that, we'll see everyone on Friday the 22nd of March for Chapter 4.8. Yep, see you then. Thank you.